Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. My name is Mike Bifulco. I'm your host for the day. And today I'm super excited to be sitting down virtually for a chat uh, with Guillermo Rout from uh, Vercel. Um, if you're unaware, uh, Vercel is a, the company that produces quite a bit of infrastructure for JavaScript developers on the internet, uh, as well as um, a bit of tools and technologies that have kind of been um, guiding and riding the zeitgeist for uh, JavaScript developers for quite a while here. Um, Next.js is, is part of the brainchild of uh, Vercel as well. Uh, and I'm super excited to be able to sit down and, and uh, sort of pick your brain for a little bit. Uh, Guillermo, it's super nice to meet you. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm uh, thrilled to get a chance to talk to you. So um, I kind of like to start discussions just talking a little bit about you first. So I'd love to hear, if you don't mind, telling me a little bit about your work history and uh, how long you've been building Vercel and sort of what led you on the path that, that uh, got you starting the company. Yeah, as you mentioned, we've been working on the foundations and infrastructure for the JavaScript world for quite a while. And that's kind of been my career for, you know, spanning decades. Uh, my, my start with programming kind of led to the discovery of JavaScript through my obsession with web technologies. So I kind of wanted to build for the web. I was in love with a web browser and the idea that you could make it more dynamic, interactive, real-time, animated. And in order to do those things on top of older web pages in the static web page world, you have to use JavaScript. Nowadays, even though Wasm exists, primarily the way to add dynamism to a web page, to make it come alive, to make it more app-like, to make it more like software, is to add JavaScript to it. So my career started with making contributions to different JavaScript projects. The ones that I'm most proud of is in the very early days, it was MooTools. That was, I was a core contributor when I was 16 years old. And MooTools kind of was a pioneering framework in many regards. A lot of the folks that were working on MooTools got hired by Facebook to work on FBJS uh, and later on, obviously, on React. So the DNA of a lot of the technologies that we take for granted today run very deep. And a lot of those, you know, have been in the works for many, many, many years. Um, so uh, my work history is part investing in all those foundational technologies for web frameworks. I also created a real-time framework for the Node.js world called Socket.io to enable real-time communication. And I was also very interested in the startup world. So one of my first jobs that was kind of created out of my contributions to MooTools was here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the idea of creating companies, and I had the opportunity to, and I saw the opportunity to create an, a company that was open source first and that created infrastructure to scale up web projects and the engineering teams behind large scale web projects. And that led to the creation of Next.js and Vercel as a platform to support it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like in the past, let's call it 10 years, uh, open source sort of had this uh, groundswell of support from the developer community where there's really a moment where um, the, the support for devs who wanted to build things open source and kind of share uh, what they were building with the rest of the world became the obvious way to do it uh, because we all get to benefit from each other. And um, certainly from where I sit, it felt like um, a welcome change uh, to happen. And it's really cool to see organizations that are embracing it wholeheartedly. Uh, I am, I'm really interested, uh, maybe we can chat about this in a bit, in, in hearing your perspective on open source and, and the way it's growing. Um, and maybe even about the federated internet. We can go in all kinds of directions with that. Yeah. Um, so um, it, when it comes to, um, I guess, your your uh, current work at Vercel, so uh, when did the company start? How long have you been building it for? So the company was incorporated in, I believe it was November 2015. I started working on some of my first open source ideas in early 2016, always starting with open source. Open source to me is like that way of validating product market fit, right? Like, Fundamentally, and, and, and this should be obvious to people, right? It's free. So if people are not adopting something that's free, then, you know, you're probably, you know, you should keep iterating, right? Uh, it, it's open source is such a great deal for, for, for adoption. And yeah, so early 2016, um, the, the Genesis story is super interesting, right? Like 
I've sold my previous company to Automatic, the company behind WordPress.com, WordPress, and many other awesome projects. Now Tumblr as well. And when I left, I knew that I wanted to make developers' lives better. If, if um, there's something that I obsess about, it's developer experience and removing friction. A lot of my love for JavaScript, Node.js, and many other things came from like how succinct it is, how easy to get started, how quick, fast. I fell in love with Node when like I saw how quickly it could start up, start up uh, how quickly it could run tests, how quickly it could spin up lots of web servers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I left WordPress and I knew that I wanted to have an impact on the web. And when I first started creating the landing page for my startup, I wanted to use the best tools available at the time. I was friends with uh, folks in the React team because of my previous shared work history on Tools. And when I first tried out React, it blew my mind. Like very few technologies have blown my mind. Uh, going back to the genesis of Mutuals, we're one of the earliest adopters of Git and GitHub in kind of the open source library world. I have uh, one of my uh, points of pride is I have a very old GitHub account and Twitter account. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so part of that was uh, realizing that, oh my God, like React is going to change everything. It solved so many gnarly problems I had experienced with Mutuals, with jQuery, with JavaScript in general, but even with this idea of reactivity, like creating real-time applications would be much easier if the world adopted React. And concurrently, in the world of infrastructure, this the status quo or the state of the art was Kubernetes. So like every other developer at the time, I was like, okay, roll up my sleeves, I'm gonna create a page I'm going to put, uh, put a, a web page online using all of this state-of-the-art technology that has helped the biggest companies on the web scale. And they're being so generous to open source, right? So Google open-sourced Kubernetes, which is a spin-off of Borg, which is how they orchestrated containers and, you know, like millions of, of, of applications inside of Google. And React was how Facebook was basically turning facebook.com into an incredible real-time application with chat notifications and uh, 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 infinite scrolling newsfeed and self-updating comments and all these things but when i started creating that landing page using this state-of-the-art technology i was like okay like i've spent weeks just configuring compilers and bundlers and trying to deploy the best practices and like it's kind of like that like Simpson, Simpsons episode where Homer is assembling the uh, like little like uh, playground for the kids. And he like, he's staring at the instructions and like, he compares what he built and the beautiful picture on the instructions, like building an Ikea and it looks completely different and his creation looks horrible. Like that's how I felt. I'm assembling React together with Babel and Webpack and Grunt and Gulp and like all these things. And like, I wasn't living up to the incredible promise of those technologies. Like if the output should be that you put out a great product on the web, why is it so awful that I'm just trying to use the, all this state of the art, great technologies and like, I can't be productive with them. And that's kind of the genesis that still to this day, we continue to create and, and bring a lot of value to our customers by realize, by helping them realize that they've gotten into traps like that. They've gone to Hacker News or they've gone to conferences or they've read the latest awesome technology and infrastructure as code and whatever. And like at the end of the day, you go to their .com and it doesn't perform well. It doesn't, perhaps it doesn't server render. So they adopted React, but they adopted it as a, as a client-side technology, not truly fulfilling its potential, not truly using it the way that Facebook actually used it. So that's kind of a little trap of open source, right? Like, Google puts out Kubernetes and it's ah, actually, it's not quite like how they use it internally or Facebook puts out React. Oh, it's actually not quite like internally. They have a framework that's very much like Next.js. So that's what inspired like, that creation of Next.js is like, Hey, let's take this engine and let's actually make it work for the citizens of the internet. Uh, and ever since then, we've had tremendous success with it. And uh, I was just looking at recent statistics of, 
from the Google Chrome um, user experience report. And, you know, Next.js is not running a really large number of the top 1,000 websites on the internet. And the, the distribution of traffic on the internet is such that the top 1,000 websites actually amount for a tremendous amount of traffic. Uh, so Next.js is running a lot of the web today, and we're very proud of that. And, and we continue to invest in improving the developer experience and uh, uh, improving the server-side runtime execution model. And we can talk a lot about the things that we launched uh, at Next.js Conf with Next.js 13, which we're really happy about. Yeah, uh, you've, you've touched upon so much in such a short amount of time that I, I'm... Um, sort of gobsmacked by how much has changed really, you know, since React came around. But even before that, like on, on some level, there was this feeling that I remember spending a lot of my time as a web developer swapping class names for things in the DOM that I had to keep careful control of. And React kind of changed that. It also inverted the model for building things for the web, where suddenly you, you were thinking about the way data sort of propagated in your applications differently. Very similarly, my um, uh, sort of prism that I saw Vercel through was that uh, I spent a lot of my life like SSHing into servers and dealing with FTP passwords and doing all kinds of nonsense that was like, this was just the way to do it. There was not, uh, you know, n nothing necessarily inherently wrong with what I was doing, but it was the process at the time. Uh, and, and there was this beautiful sort of marriage of uh, developer experience of bringing about um, tooling that was uh, built for the process that developers use. And, you know, um, F FTP and SSH are sort of like the one-dimensional view maybe of how to deploy software on the internet and uh, a, a sort of containerized and graceful uh, uh, software deployment process that came about with Vercel and, and around the time that uh, you were sort of delivering your first version of your products to the world was like, an explosion of, of capacity for people to get things done. I'm very happy that I no longer have to be the administrator of a single Linux VM anywhere if I don't want to. I think that's really exciting for someone that doesn't want to focus on that. Uh, and the paradigm shift there, like, it really hasn't been that long, but it's such a, a big change in the way that we uh, deliver things for the web. Um, I, I think uh, there's a lot to be said for that, and it's really, really interesting to think about even just what's changed since, I don't know, let's call it 2010, just for round numbers, you know? I love the concept of the inversion that you're talking about, because I see that happening across so many different domains. So on one hand, we inverted the data flow model or the way that we think about UI as a function of data and state. So it used to be that JavaScript was this thing that came later on. You sprinkle it on your page. It has to almost like reverse engineer the state out of the HTML that's been rendered by some other technology that that software doesn't know about. It was this like incompatible world, like two forces fighting for like who controls the experience. And with React and Next.js, we're saying, okay, like the front end, of course, this is how software engineering should be done. Like there's a render function, you bring data in and then that, that system takes over and it's unidirectional, it's clean, simple, it's a pipeline. It's honestly just like how most infrastructure even in the real world should work. It's, it has to be smooth and direct. Another inversion, I think, is that idea of like, what matters more to your business? Is it the front-end experience, which is where the customer interacts, buys, signs up, etc., Or is it the VM with Linux that you were SSHing into? And what does the customer care more about? Ultimately, what do business stakeholders care more about? And even what's better for the web, especially with, for the web in competition to world gardens like iOS. Something that I respect about Apple is that they were always about their Apple design guidelines, the um, obsession with good experience, the giving you frameworks that are not just frameworks for like computer science. Like, oh, here's a framework for, you know, uh, how to do data structures, binary search, classes, functions. They do that with Swift. But that came way later. Like the things that they built that were cool to me were, oh, when you launch an app, it has to have this placeholder state that is instant. Like when you launch Twitter, you get the bird instantly. Oh, that means that the user receives feedback immediately. And then they had frameworks for like, oh, when the, the application is in the background, it won't consume your resources, but it can communicate with the user through notification. Like, the framework is much higher level and it, it made for a better ecosystem. Obviously, it has all the downsides of a walled garden. 
and you know review processes and developer licenses and all of that stuff but good results followed for when you were in that garden now for the web i think that inversion means if you adopt technologies like next.js that are so obsessed with that user experience you will naturally just converge into that you you will err on the side of doing more things for the end user more polish for the application more animation more customization more the other thing that i'd love to see more of in the web is more of your brand identity one of the ways that we've scaled the web is we've said oh if you need to do if you need to go to the knowledge base of this company go to kb.company.com which is run the front is run by this other third party system your login is not preserved your brand is not preserved and oh and it opens up in a new tab and it doesn't preload and it doesn't prefetch like it's like a, it's like another system and then we saw that same problem with third party scripts on the client side so everything that you want to integrate onto your website comes from a third party domain and it loads as an iframe or it loads later on in the life cycle or it's some bubble that is popping up here so we built this kind of like disjointed duct taped things because we didn't have a framework that governed the components of your UI that allowed them to click like Lego bricks. And that I think is a true revolution that React and, and Next.js are coming, are, are bringing to the web. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the, the Lego bricks effect, I think, is something that infrastructure, people working on infrastructure have been really good at for a long time, making these things that have interfaces on the input and the output side that they're sort of agnostic of what happens on either end of them, but they work really well. And for the web, for a very long time, it was not that way. It was sort of like you, you have a very fragile deck of cards that you deeply understand how every little card was placed in there and you know anything else that comes along is someone with a baseball bat taking a swing yeah, at your like card deck. Yeah, it's like Rube Goldberg. There's this super funny meme that um like there's this guy creating this crazy rube goldberg apparatus in his kitchen and he like has to like carry it along himself with his hands like all of the ideas that he had for like its automation didn't pan out unfortunately a lot of the quote-unquote modern web that people thought that they were going for is like that it's like this disjointed experience like the ci pipeline breaks down and the npm package is out of date and like your DIY framework like has no owner because that person left the company. And so we do need to bring some of those ideas of kind of like a cohesive system. Like a, we call this at Vercel the, the, the SDK that the web has been missing, the SDK for the web. Um, and yeah, there's going to be multiple and maybe, you know, you want to change some pieces of it. You want to substitute React for Svelte and things like this. But overall, the system has to be in harmony uh, to help developers be productive and to help create those high quality user outcomes. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think it's really interesting that for a while, the web has purported to be the SDK for multiple screens, right? That phones and tablets and to a certain extent, watches and TVs and cars and things like that all are web capable. Uh, but we haven't had a really great recipe for building just things sort of generically for the web. Um, yeah, there's a lot of potential there. And it's a really interesting perspective to have on, on the way that you're growing your products and the developer experience that, you know, people like me get to use. Um, so Let's pivot a little bit from there. Uh, you've been working on quite a few things. Uh, Vercel, your team has been hard at work delivering things. I know you had an event late in 2022. Um, and uh, along with that came the launch of Next.js 13. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the event, the launches that came along with it, and the things that your team is thinking about? Yeah, for sure. So we like to talk about Next.js as that core infrastructure for the modern web, right? And this infrastructure that we give you that you basically have to stop worrying about and building yourself has three primary layers. The first layer that gets developers really excited that I think relates the most to the developer experience is the compiler infrastructure. So if you, if you go back in time to like Roush G in 2016 and that pain that I had creating that landing page, a lot of that had to do with the fact that the story of using React was very DIY. React was this library, and then you have to shop for the compiler pieces, and you have to assemble them. 
So Webpack, Webpack plugins, Webpack config. A lot of folks, their first perception of Next.js was it's like Webpack as a service. Like I don't have to, I can delegate that nightmarish compiler infrastructure stuff that is really, really hard. And, th- and that actually also comes from a perhaps oversimplification of, of a, or a little bit of like ignorance is bliss from um, how much or how, how the front end has been perceived by many people. To create a world-class front end the way that Google or Amazon have done it, you need to invest in build systems. You need to invest in compilers. You need to invest in optimization, optimizing compilers. It's not the idea that you take JavaScript source and you just put it on the web page, which is kind of how JavaScript started. That idea is dead. JavaScript has to be heavily optimized, uh, bundled, code split, um, transpiled before it gets handed to an end user. So we started out using Webpack and you, you've seen the growth of Next.js, you've seen the growth of React. Number two, React is number two on all of GitHub by stars. The number of front-end projects has grown exponentially. The number of NPM packages and NPM downloads continues to grow exponentially. And all the tooling that was built for compiling that JavaScript was built in JavaScript itself. So it's all JS based. So it really cannot keep up with the growth of lines of code, code bases, complexity. So we partaken into this process of moving from JS based infrastructure to Rust based infrastructure. So Rust is a safe native uh, compiled um, safe uh, from a type safety perspective language that produces in our in our case, obviously, can be generalized, but really, really, really fast code, machine code. And what we're seeing is that we we created this new project called TurboPack to replace Webpack. It's a general purpose compiler, so any project in the world can adopt TurboPack as the successor to Webpack. But Next.js bundles it in the in the very same shape that it bundled Webpack once upon a time. And it basically makes everything about the developer experience faster to the tune of we've made benchmarks. And obviously these are synthetic benchmarks, but to give you an idea, it can be up to 700 times faster than Webpack. And it yeah, can, no big deal. Yeah, it's, it's astounding. And like this is measured against projects that are really large. And sometimes developers come to me and say like, hey, like, yeah, that's a great marketing number, like 700 times but I don't have 20,000 modules or I don't have like 50,000 modules. And I can tell you that working with, working on Vercel itself or working with like some of the largest Next.js users in the world, like Walmart, you get pretty quickly to that, to really astounding numbers of files, modules, dependencies, components. So we're turning a world of, that was already pretty fast. Like compared to like when I talked to like, folks that have, you know, minute long iteration cycles. This is the part of the pipeline that you're entering code into your editor and you're witnessing in real time the UI that you're making. And some folks live in the space of minutes there. I talked to a big retailer recently that was telling me that they actually had to write CSS and push it to prod to the staging prod environment to see what they had done. So they're going from like minutes, then we went to seconds. Then we went to set from seconds, we already went into this process of moving parts of the infrastructure from JS to Rust. So Next.js already introduced SWC as a uh, substitution for Babel. And we that helped us for many projects go from seconds to hundreds of milliseconds. And now we're going with TurboPack from hundreds of milliseconds to single digit milliseconds for a lot of updates. It's actually pretty remarkable. And the key thing is that we're buying you a lot of time, right? Like what's happening is that we can, you can now build larger projects. Now that dovetails really well into the second category of, of really exciting announcements, which is in addition to TurboPack, we're moving more and more of the world's JavaScript code from the client to the server. 
So we introduced the app directory with support for React Server Components. So React Server Components is this new paradigm for server-first rendering. So if you combine that idea of we're moving the code from the client to the server, that means fundamentally that you're taking code that was obstructing your ability to deliver UI to your client and ultimately deliver a sale or whatever it is that you know your business need to do on the web, you're now taking that cost. You're saying, like, I'm responsible for delivering a fast product. So as your products get larger and more mature, the server can take in a lot more code than a client. You know, like it's not bandwidth constraint, it's not space constraint, it's not memory constraint, it's not battery constraint like a mobile device. So um, by moving a lot of that code from the client to the server with React Server Components, combined with being so fast and efficient at bundling that code and, and refreshing it during development, we're kind of giving you that best of both worlds of great developer experience and great end user experience. Um, so a lot of this, I, I think it's important to note, especially for folks that have been thinking about Next.js, we, we're always obsessed with never breaking Next.js. So we still support Webpack. You can adopt TurboPack incrementally with no, basically very few backwards compatible breaking changes. Same goes for this concept of React Server Components. You just introduce a new uh, file system structure into your project, the app directory, instead of the pages directory. And now you gain all these new benefits of the, basically what's the future of React. So I wanted, I wanted to circle back to that idea I mentioned earlier of the way that Facebook used React and scaled it to billions of users is a lot more like this app directory that we're introducing than even the framework that they open source themselves create React app. So uh, a lot of folks just don't know this, but like the version of React that you were getting before was kind of like a diluted version um, of, of what the true potential of React was. So the React team has been working for multiple years on incredible advancements, like uh, suspense and concurrent mode that allow you to now use React like the big leagues. So another thing that we introduced with the app directory is streaming support. So it's not only that the server and the edge begin the rendering, but the rendering pipeline is basically never blocked. Very complex applications grab data from everywhere in the cloud, right? Like we talked about that idea of like, okay, with the render function, with React, with Next.js, we can get data and state from anywhere, and we give you a great developer experience to like create that UI on top of that data. The problem with data is that not all data is created equal and served equal. Some is faster, some is cached, some is cacheable, some data is not cacheable. You know, you don't want your financial data, your social security number, your bank balance to be cached at the edge. We need to retrieve that from origin. So. The new model allows you to stream data that can come from multiple places, have different policies attached to it, different levels of authentication and policy applied to it. And this streaming-based model makes that really not only a great developer experience, but you are actually rendering a page faster. You're rendering the page as the data becomes available, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, the, the this new app directory kind of um, uh, enables React Server Components, it enables the streaming, uh, it enables layouts. So <laughs> this was the most requested feature on Next.js for a long time. And uh, I'm going to share something in this podcast that perhaps I haven't shared before, but it, it was an obvious feature to add to Next.js. But we, we've always been really careful to not fall for like local maximas and like give people something that we know will have to be refactored later or like so this is just better not to have a certain feature than give you a half-baked version of it. So I'm really happy that we're actually introducing layouts together with these innovations in React because I could have given you a regrettable version of layouts years ago. So um, layouts is quote-unquote finally coming to Next.js, but it's coming in the right way and I'm extremely excited about it. Uh, obviously developers, again, like are extremely excited and love this feature. Um, if, if, if it's, as the name implies, I guess, it allows you to define layouts, like parts of the page that are common 
across different sections of your application. And it has an ergonomic benefit in that um, when you develop your page, it's just easier to like distribute some of your content and components, but it has a runtime benefit as well. So when you're when you were rendering page transitions, we can retain the layout. So essentially it makes your pages more efficient, your navigations more efficient. It's worth calling out too that what makes a great user experience is not just the initial loading time, it's the subsequent interactions. So I think the way that I thought about 2022 as a year is I was very focused, 2022, 2021, obviously other years, but Think of it as the journey so far has been to give you a great loading performance. What does that mean? You go to a website and you get the product page, you get the sign-up page, you get the landing page extremely fast. And we've done that really well so far, I think. We're creating, we're adding more to that. So we're we're adding the, as I mentioned, streaming. So if, if the data was not already like, we can now run, improve that loading performance, make it more sequential, make it more progressive. We're also adding edge rendering. This started back with Next 12, but we're refining it a lot with Next 13. We're making it more stable, which is that ability to run dynamic code to start rendering that page as close to the visitor as possible. So all of that that I'm talking about is in the service of loading performance. But we're also concerned with the transition, the interaction, what happens once it's been loaded and you want to buy. And a lot of the improvements that we're bringing into Next.js relate to improving that. For example, with a lot of the innovations in React, we can now hydrate faster. So we can make the interaction time when you press buy a lot quicker. To circle back on layouts, when I transition to a page that shares a bunch of the page, I can make that more efficient as well. I don't have to re-render the entire page. So think of Next.js 13 as giving you the state-of-the-art loading performance that is edge-first, that is streaming-enabled, and is fundamentally server-first with the state-of-the-art on interactivity, a page that hydrates extremely fast selectively, and that when you make transitions between pages, retains as much as possible of the work that's already been done. So that kind of sums up our, our improvements in the rendering infrastructure category, which is a lot. Um, and then finally, the other layer of this infrastructure that you get for free when you adopt Next.js is what we call kind of the high-level components or the toolkit of Next.js. So we announced in enhanced support for fonts, uh, which is one of the biggest pains by a huge margin on the web. Like, I think a lot of folks have the, that experience of like, you go to a website and the text is not there. It's like, I think one of my biggest pet peeves, period, that because the website is loading a custom font extremely inefficiently, usually from a third party domain, usually with the CSS is not there yet and whatnot, or, or the font is overfit, meaning the font has glyphs that you don't need and uh, variants that you don't need, like bold, italic, semi-bold. You know, like I, I'm, I'm a typeface aficionado, but there are folks that go so deep. Like one of our, one of our good friends, Rasmus Anderson, who, the creator of Inter, like those people like know every in and out of like the kerning on the font and the glyphs and whatnot. And like fonts nowadays come with like hundreds of different variants or dozens of variants and so on. And like the way that developers have shipped these custom fonts to the web has been naive, has infringed in privacy because like now you're going to like fonts.google.com when I'm actually going to bank.com, like why do I need to go to Google when I'm loading my, my, my bank landing page? Um, so we shipped this pretty incredible component for for rendering fonts extremely efficiently. And I think it's also a good summary of the approach of Next.js and Vercel to, to these problems because the developer experience is literally that you import inter from at next slash font slash Google. So like you can still use Google's phenomenal repository of open source fonts, 
But now like the dev experience is just like it's one import away. And then it gives you back a class name and you put your class name into your layout and you're done. Uh, so fonts, we made images better as well. We continue to improve images. It, it feels like the history of the web is just improving images more and more and more. And the, like the web is made up of fundamentally images, especially with like generative AI and DALI and all these things that are coming to market. So more native, more web native, we call it uh, internally image handling, um, less usage of React, less usage of custom runtime code, more usage of the web fundamentals and the web primitives. Um, and um, also we kind of re-announced, but we stabilized more our approach to image generation. So we, you can now generate social cards with a package that we give you. Um, it's a package that you have to import, but it has a very good integration into uh, into Next.js, especially with the Edge runtime. So you can basically create images on the fly at the Edge extremely cheaply. And these are the social cards that you find all over the web when you, you know, like you share a link on Twitter, you share a link on Slack, and you see that beautiful summary card. Uh, well, we can now create those programmatically using React components. So it's pretty, it's pretty freaking awesome. So I think I, I got everything. There, there's a lot uh, just on Next.js. Uh, but, but I think to summarize, we were we predicted at the beginning of 2022 that the web would go edge first, um, that uh, there would be a return, that inversion that you talked about, that things would shift from client to server, um, that obviously developers would continue to demand performance both on DX and UX, and that the web is going to become more first party. So what does that mean? Like to integrate systems, you're not going to use a script text on the client. You're going to use fewer of them, hopefully. Uh, you're, to get fonts, you're not going to go to third parties. To optimize fonts, Next.js serves your images and your optimized images from the same domain. Um, we also, Vercel announced the acquisition of Splitbee to give you first-party, privacy-first analytics. So instead of bringing Google Analytics, which is, again, third-party domain, banned in Austria, you know, GDPR conflicting, uh, Google Analytics, you can use Vercel Analytics powered by Splitbee. Um, so th th that first party aspect of the web is, is something I, uh, I'm also extremely excited about. That is a colossal mountain of things to have delivered to the world in, in the past year. Um, and wh what I like about it is that I feel like for a long time we were optimizing server side things for a couple of reasons. One is if it takes a long time for a page to load, uh, people disappear. Uh, but also, Google search engines stop valuing your thing. You know, you, you start to be devalued from like a, a death um, by a thousand search cuts. perspective. Yeah, and there's so many things to think of, and there's a lot to consider in, in the way that works. And really, um, a, a theme that lives through everything else you just mentioned. So uh, the developer experience for build times, the experience of the uh, apps folder and code splitting and uh, using suspense and layouts and all these things makes the... Uh, once the page is loaded, the end user experience better, uh, which keeps people around. So now that the, you know, I've come to your page and it's loaded quickly and it's more pleasant to use, that creates an attachment. And that's something that I feel like is almost just an expectation of the way the apps work in 2023 now, because people are so used to uh, installing native apps on their phone, right? They have that experience in a native app and the web feels more and more capable of delivering native, native plus experiences by the day. Uh, and I think that's massively exciting. Yeah, I love what you mentioned about keeps people and makes people come back because it's it, as we go deeper into the e-commerce world and become more successful there, you know, like you can use the web for multiple things and you can use Vercel for multiple things, but e-commerce is a big one. And when I talk to the, you know, CEOs and chief digital officers of the largest retailers in the US, something they always talk about is that loyalty that that brand loyalty that they work so hard for that they develop with their customers in the brick and mortar world, in the world of atoms and, you know, beautiful storefronts and avenues all over the world. They, they've put so much care and so much design. Uh, so, some of them actually have said things to me that make me think about like, they've had the equivalent of those design obsessed engineers that we employ that craft custom components on top of headless UI 
uh, and you know make it beautiful and choose the gradient and choose the color and choose the font and this is why custom fonts are so popular on the web right like those folks who were doing that for decades if not centuries in the real world and they want to do it now in the digital world and that's why we're seeing that investment into front end and that excitement over these technologies because what keeps people around and keeps people coming back is a great storefront experience. And to your point, it's about it's not just about that initial server rendered time. It's about a did you render the right thing? Classic example: Are is Mike still logged in? Is your cart your profile picture? Is it there, or does it come five seconds later? Uh, does it shift the layout, or was it just there? Uh, the product recommendations, are they relevant to you and your past history with that website? Or are you anonymous again? And, or the only way to, for that company to scale was caching statically at the edge. So they kind of were using edge, but not really because they were just caching the same static version for everybody. So now their recommendations are pointless. So there's just so much about that experience that at the end of the day, it makes that person that visited the website say, you know what? I come back to this because it's faster and better. And I think the success of amazon.com speaks to that. Like, you know, we always talk about democratizing the best practices of the giants of the web with for sale. And like, I've experienced that with Amazon. It's fast, so I keep coming back to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fast and thoughtful in a lot of ways. And I think uh, one of the interesting things about this phenomenon that happens when we start to be able to build applications that um, fulfill and then surpass the expectations of people using them is that if if you're doing a really good job at Vercel and I'm doing a really good job building the applications that people are using, they may never notice that I did a great job of building the thing. You know, they just love the thing. They don't think about the loading screen or they don't think about, oh my gosh, every time I come here, I get this error. Uh, and you you really feel the service that you're getting from whatever it is that you're looking at, whether it's an ebook or you know a blog or amazon.com it's a very very different experience and suddenly you're the value you're delivering is actually the value you're delivering and not like the marginal gains of a slightly faster load time yeah and i think that speaks to to the post devops world right like does the customer really care about that you use nomad or kubernetes or terraform or you know Terra Grant or whatever the you know fad of the day is. Yeah, we've come we've come a very long way from those times, uh, and I'm I'm grateful that you know you and I and all the folks that we work with are like we're standing on the shoulders of a lot of people's hard work to have gotten here, uh, and it's cool to be able to to start from where we're at today. Um, I, I did also want to mention one thing that I'm uh, I admire that uh, Vercel does really well with Next is that you've you've mentioned actually a handful of things already that are uh, features that are sort of um, released with Next 13 in a somewhat experimental state. Uh, Turbo Pack being one of those. I think the Apps folder is another, uh, and there may be a couple other features that I'm I'm forgetting off the top of my head that you sort of opt into using that live alongside uh, the prior experience in a way that's stable. Um, I think that's something that's admirable from the perspective of it gives people like me who build with these tools a notion of what's coming and how to anticipate the changes coming down the road. I'm sure on your end, it's also shaking out lots of things that you didn't think of or bugs or, uh, you know, tooling um, concerns Getting it that into you people can improve on. early has been amazing. Yeah. My question for you is how do you manage to maintain both at the same time? So the current state and the future state. Yeah. Great, great question. So... There is a there is a hacker news thread that I have a very unpopular opinion about that has become kind of a meme and it, su it became super popular. It's it's a comment that someone made about how Oracle has so many tests that uh, the core database that Oracle builds has so many tests that it's almost impossible to to work on Oracle. And obviously, like I'll take out the part about like making it impossible to work. That's not a good property of any system, right? But like, I truly admire systems that have extremely high quality test coverage. And testing is an art and a craft. When all of this is done, like I'll, I think I'll be remembered for, it's funny because a lot of people point out a tweet that I made that is like, write tests, not too many, mostly integration. And 
like articles have been written about this too. It is funny, which is funny to me. And, but the idea there is like, hey, like you have to test the end as close as possible, the integrated experience of your product that you're delivering to people. You have to test it from the point of view of its usage, ideally. And sometimes, of course, implementation details like security, we have a dedicated testing suite for security and like things like this, but we always try to holistically test the system. Um, so a, a secret superpower, secret sauce of Next.js is just how thoughtful we've been about its testing story. So we move with confidence, we evolve with confidence, we can replace parts with confidence. Uh, and that's, for example, what gives me the confidence that I'll be able to completely replace Webpack with TurboPack. There's also a game of in, like incentives, right? Like sometimes you have to be thoughtful on this again, like just like tests of art and, and science. Uh, it's not that the best tester is the one that reached 100% code coverage at all costs. And like, no, there's economics, there's how much time you spend, there is uh, understanding of how the product is used, etc. And I think that same thing applies to uh, breaking compatibility. Like, it's not that like the best system is the one that never broke compatibility. I think folks also talk a lot about how Windows kind of or Microsoft went a little too extreme with backwards compatibility. And, and I think you can be a good steward of an open source community and project and bring people onto the journey of the future with removing or crafting or warning and like thoughtfully deprecating. And that's something that we pay a lot of attention to. And um, fundamentally, I think that, for example, from Webpack to TurboPack, it'll be super seamless. Another funny thing is that we've been working on that transition without people realizing. So for years I've been, uh, and nowadays, you know, I, uh, I, I, of course, delegate this to, to our team and our CTO, but I've been super thoughtful about, okay, can we start minimizing foot guns of configurations or plug-in hooks or things like that or can we prevent their existence at, at all such that then we can replace Webpack with something else? And those thoughts go back to possibly four or five years. So that's another quote unquote trick is that we've been thinking about the future without even being able to write the code yet because like writing this massive amounts of Rust code is not trivial nor fast, <laughs> uh, but we were preparing the architecture for it. So that's one way that we um, bring um, uh, kind of this like seamless upgrade experience or like backwards compatibility. And, and we celebrate it internally a lot. We collect tweets when people tell us like, I upgraded for, and then sometimes it's jokes or like, or like it's funny because like, we're like, how were you so out of date for so long? Like I upgraded from Next.js 1 to Next.js 13 and it didn't change anything. Like we've gotten tweets like that. So the, the key thing to, um, so the second category I spoke about, which is like the rendering infrastructure side, the app directory, that is completely optional opt-in. And a lot of benefits are still there when you upgrade to Next.js 13, even if you use the pages directory. You can use the fonts uh, improvements, you can use the image improvements. Um, there's even DX improvements that we bring sometimes to the, to, to the table um, that, um, that apply to pages. So there's never, we, we, we work really hard to never give a reason to developers not to upgrade to a major version. The, the, the changes are usually very minimal. Yeah, it's interesting to see on launch day uh, the excitement that comes from the new features launching and like the the groundswell of information that seems to propagate across places like Twitter and YouTube while people are watching these things. Uh, and then this kind of realization that like, oh, uh, you know, my, my upgrade process, so I, I, my, my personal site is built with Next. My upgrade process for that, I think, was maybe eight lines of code to be compatible from 12 to 13. And, and it was I had to remove nested anchor links under the, the Next link component. And there's a code mod for that. Yes, right. It, it was a very thoughtful thing to do. Yeah. If you run the code mod, um, you can append to the link component an attribute called legacy behavior if you don't actually want to change the code. And then there's a code mod for actually changing the code. So 
Yeah, I love that. And uh, this is a space that I'm really excited about because I think AI will help tremendously. It's already helping, by the way, like just more like ad hoc, not fully automated. Uh, but the idea of migrating code with AI is just so exciting to me. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of uh, exciting changes come uh, in, in the, the next few months here and, and years as AI sort of hits its um, stride here too. Um, so, Guillermo, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out and chat with me today. I have uh, hours and hours worth of additional questions I could ask you, and I'd love to follow up with you sometime in the future. Uh, for now, um, I'm um, hopeful that you uh, uh, will have lots of uh, you know exciting changes coming about this year as well. But um, where can people find you online if they have questions, follow up, things like that? And where can they find Vercel and Next.js? For sure. So on Twitter, I'm Rauch, G-R-A-U-C-H-G. Uh, I strongly recommend following the Vercel and Next.js accounts. In particular, with um, over the recent weeks, we've been tweeting out a lot of very short videos that help you understand and like break down some of the concepts and improvements that I've been talking about today. So, uh, huge fan of that. Um, I also recommend checking out Next.js.org/learn if you're interested in picking up Next.js skills. We, add, we added a recent um, addition to that, which is the fundamentals. So we kind of take you from not all of JS, but like we tell you like, okay, what do you need to know about JS to React and then from React to Next.js. It's kind of like smooth journey. We teach you how to deploy as well. And, um, and if you're thinking about larger and more ambitious um, enterprise-grade projects and things like that, I recommend checking out Vercel.com and Vercel.com slash enterprise. But even like you said, for your own blog, like my own blog runs on Vercel, your blog runs on Vercel. So we make it extremely easy to deploy front-end projects of 35 plus frameworks. So it's not just Next.js. You import your Git repo onto Vercel and we take a lot of pride in how quickly we can deploy that. And uh, we deploy Astro and Solid Start and SvelteKit. I'm very excited about SvelteKit 1.0, which just launched. Uh, so yeah, head to Vercel.com and start importing your projects. Wonderful. Well, Guillermo Raj, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really great having you here. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting again sometime in the future. Thank Thanks you, again. This is great.